Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. You can see the scripture reading, Genesis 21 through 18, which we'll actually read that all um, during the time of the sermon. But for now, we're just going to read verses 17 and 18. That's Genesis chapter 20, verses 17 and 18. And I'll be reading from the New King James Version. And that reads, So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. I don't know if you guys are into sermon titles. Uh, I actually, like, the very first thing I, I look when I get to a church is, like, I look to the bulletin to see the sermon title because... That sometimes already gives me an indication if I want to stay here or if I perhaps to go to some someplace else. But I don't know how many of you got what I wanted to say with the title of today. The young people, I'm sure they got it. The title is Canceling Abraham. And I'm alluding, I'm alluding to the fact uh, of something of our culture today. Like we have, uh, and for many years, what has been known as the cancel culture. When somebody does something that's against, that goes against the grain, that goes against what people think, the majority thinks is the way to go, they try to cancel that person, like meaning obliterating through social media and through other means to, to kind of make that uh, person go to oblivion. And... Uh, that is uh, the title of the sermon today, and you're going to know very soon why I named uh, like that. But for the moment, I want to introduce with a quick story of uh, something that happened many moons ago with a young theology student. That was me, by the way. Uh, and uh, I was... On the seminary, first year, fresh, greeny, and uh, I was talking with one of my professors. He was a nice guy. We forged a good friendship. Uh, even after seminary, I was still talking with him. He was a he had a good influence on me, and uh, I I had a. Uh, a conversation with him after one of his classes because something uh, he said made me realize that I was doing stuff on my life that was not right and I was not even noticing and like uh, I all of a sudden I had like uh, that uh, crisis of uh, conscience or like existential crisis whatever you want to call it and I went to talk with him like because all of a sudden I was feeling me a sinner and I was feeling disqualified for ministry and uh, I came from a very legalistic background so how that was building on top of that and uh, I like his answer like uh, he saw my pain and uh, he walked with me. We, 
the, the campus, the university campus where I did my seminary, like uh, all around the campus, there was a running track. I don't remember how many miles that running track was, but we gave like two laps on that thing talking. So it was a long conversation. And uh, what boils to, he gave me some hope that like uh, God does not look to us for the points on our history. He looks to the whole trajectory. Like that was something that uh, I didn't fully understand uh, two years later, but gave me a little hope. And the sermon today kind of comes from that uh, from that experience, because uh, studying the story of Abraham helped me to realize something about God that I haven't noticed before. And that's what I want to share with you today. But before we go there, let's bow our heads and let's uh, pray for the guidance of the Holy Spirit in our study today. Dear Father in heaven, Thank you so much for another day in our lives. Thank you for the freedoms we have in this country for being able to speak uh, about you, to be able to choose and uh, to do whatever our hearts desire in order to follow you. We ask special blessings, dear Lord, today as we open the scripture. So, May we learn new things about you today. Help us to realize details on the story we are missing. And help us to realize that your love for us is even greater than what we imagine. Dear Lord, I ask you, dear Lord, uh, for you to bless each one of the people here today hearing either face-to-face or through the internet. Bless their hearts, anoint their ears so they can not only hear the sound waves that will be spoken here today, but may they hear your voice speaking directly to their hearts. I ask you, dear Lord, uh, for anointing of your Holy Spirit. You know who I am, you know from where I came from, you know that I'm nothing but ashes. So I ask you to wash me clean with the blood of the Lamb and to endow me with your Holy Spirit so I speak not from myself, but I speak words coming from you. Help, us, help me to say what you want to be said and not a word more or less than that. That's what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Already, uh, if you're coming here for the first time, like we have been in a series of sermons going through the life of Abraham, and now we are continuing 25 years afterwards, after we started, after Abraham started the, his journey, is where the story of today comes. Uh, from the moment that Abraham is called by God to serve. God says, like, I'm going to give you a bright future, but you have to leave your father's house. You have to leave your land. 
you have to leave your uh, family connections and follow and go to a land where I gonna show you. So, uh, basically, ever since this moment, Abraham became a nomad. Uh, in essence, he was always with his life in a backpack, always moving from place to place until he finally, 25 years later, is getting ready to get settled. All the time going to a different place is a daunting experience. I myself, like, uh, I actually lost, lost count, so Tanya, please correct me if I'm wrong. I think we change about 12 or 13 times already since we got married. Like, so that's a lot of moving. Every two, three years, almost in average, in a different place. And uh, so in every place, uh, there's its challenges. And even though I only traveled, uh, was moved across countries twice, three times actually, but uh, even when I moved from one city to the next, like I came from Bering Springs to here, even that was already a change. But can you imagine Abraham changing from country to country, from land to land, from different people to a different people? It's always daunting to see what you're going to face next. Of course, throughout that region, some things were kind of normal uh, across the different cultures, but other things were different. And uh, the, the thing is that different uh, nations and different uh, people around those times, they had different gods. So you could walk a uh, few miles, different set of gods, different set of like beliefs. Like uh, we don't have too much of that in modern days because we, the world is kind of dominated by three ba big religions that get big chunks of it, that's Christianity, uh, Islam, and uh, Judaism. But you can get a glimpse, for example, if you go to India, you can probably walk for three, four, five hours, and then you get to a different place, different language, different set of gods, different religion altogether, like, uh, and that was the situation that Abraham was living. And of course, uh, those different gods, they cause people to have different costumes because they believe in different things. Like, for example, a while ago I showed you pictures of a temple in India where people worship the rat. Remember that I told you that they, like the pinnacle of their religious, experience, religious experiences to be beaten by one of those creatures? That's not the pinnacle of mine. Actually, I don't want to have anything to do so, with them. So, but I'm mentioning that just to the fact to illustrate that different gods, they lead, they lead you to different costumes, different lifestyles. And that's what Abraham was facing all the time. And uh, so Abraham was in his way to a region called Negev. And uh, this region would have some cultural overlap 
to what he was used to growing up. But there was something that would be different as well. But he will not know that until he get to the land, get to know the people, get to know the costumes, the gods they worshipped. So he was getting nervous. And his nervousness uh, soon gave uh, uh, room to like more uneasiness. And soon he was just plain old fear. He was fearsome of uh, what would happen next. Abraham was scared uh, because of the unknowns of what would happen. And his biggest fear, the root of his fear, was also the root of the, his biggest pleasure in life, was his wife, Sarah. And uh, why was that? Because she was beautiful. We don't know uh, a lot about, like my Bible at least does not have a picture of her. So I can only imagine she was something. Because she was already in her 90s. And he was afraid about her beauty being so out there that they would, uh, people would feel enticed to uh, get her in. So she was like a something. And uh, he's as scared as one can get as he's get to this new region because he was afraid that some of the power player, players of the area would look at her, would uh, feel attracted, and would try to get her for themselves. And uh, one thing he knew very well that was common across that region, one thing that was a big taboo, punishable by death, was to pick somebody's wife. Like, a, like to commit adultery regardless of which God, that was like a big no-no. And regardless with which country from that region you are, if you're caught uh, stealing somebody's wife, you're going to be dead. Both of you, actually. And, uh, but he has, uh, was also aware that one of the biggest ways to go around that problem is like uh, making sure the husband is no more. So he was afraid that if they like her, in order of not to break that law, they would get rid of him. So, no husband, no, no problem. And that was his fear. And uh, interesting enough, uh, when they, they arrive on that region, lo and behold, the king sees her and sends people to get her sooner she is on his heron. And you may be thinking, if you are familiar with the story of Abraham or if you've been following our series of sermons, you may be thinking, oh, that's what happened with Abraham in Egypt, right? Wrong. Uh, that's an entirely different story. In, in Egypt, 
Abraham was on the beginning of his faith journey. That actually happened with him there too. But now, 25 years later, the same situation happened again. Same plot line, just different cast of characters. Uh, so, like, so there's no ambiguity. Those two stories, they happen. And uh, they were 25 years apart. One, I think it was in chapter 13, was on the very beginning of Abraham's journey with God. And he did the same things, like he, he lied about his, his wife's status and like the king uh, took her thinking she was uh, her, his uh, sister, not his wife. And then all of a sudden, through a miraculous intervention from God, they got uh, out of that situation with no, nobody harmed. That actually happened. But now we are seeing a different story. 25 years later, uh, 25 years later, having journeyed with God for those 25 years, having with Abraham, having witnessed God's divine power over a bunch of different occasions. And uh, Abraham still tells Sarah to tell the king or whoever asks, you are my sister. Uh, because he was afraid about himself. And uh, you may be finding yourself asking, have you not been here before? So let's read chapter the story. I want to read the whole story first so you get the whole picture. And then we're going to continue on our study here today. Let's read uh, Genesis 20. We're going to read now verses 1 to verse, verse 18. Let's read the whole story. And Abraham journeyed from there to the south and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur and stayed in Gerar. Now Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech king of Gerar sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and said to him, Indeed, you are a dead man, because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, will you slay a righteous nation also? Did he not say to me, She is my sister? And she, even she herself, said, He is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocence of my hands, I have done this. And God said to him in a dream, Yes, I know that you did this in the integrity of your heart, for I also withheld you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not restore her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning, called all his servants, and told all these things in their hearing. And the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you, that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, 
What did you have in view that you have done this thing? And Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came to pass, when God caused me to wander from my father's house, that I said to her, This is your kindness that you should do for me. In every place, wherever we go, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep, oxen, and male and female servants, and gave them to Abraham, and he restored Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, See, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. Then to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Indeed, this vindicates you before all who are with you and before everybody. Thus she was rebuked. So Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his female servants. Then they bore children, for the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So think about that story. Abraham and Sarah, they set their camp in that region of Gehar. But when you think setting up camp, it's not like uh, that he was there by himself. Abraham was like a, a powerhouse in itself. He had more than 300 men uh, in his army. He had his private security of 300 men. And uh, he had vast amounts of live, livestock. That was the real currency on his time. His household was more like a portable village. Like a lot of people. Uh, and we don't, we don't have to be fooled like that he was totally helpless. But he was really helping, afraid for his life. And uh, we don't know if it's because her astonished beauty or because uh, the king wanted to um, make a treaty with that new power player that was just coming to the area or a little bit of both that he in, in, in fact he took Sarah as one of uh, that he wanted to marry and he got her to her harem what Abimelech, that's the name of the king, what he did, didn't know who Abraham was. He didn't know that uh, Abraham was a vital cog on God's uh, master plan to save humanity. He also didn't know that Sarah was another important cog on that same machine and uh, another important part of that plan. And, uh, but he would know, know that soon enough. Because as we saw in the story, like uh, first Abimelech and now his household, now his wife and now the woman on his, on his uh, domains become all of a sudden sick and unable to bear children. And uh, Abimelech was also sick. It sounded like they were in some sort of course. Uh, they were cursed, but they didn't know why, why that's happening to us, until one day, uh, I don't know if it was a vision, a dream or something, God shows up 
to Abimelech. And, uh, and he says to him, you are about to die because you have taken a married woman. Then Abimelech, uh, he says like, what? I didn't know. I had no idea. Like this man said to me, she's my sister. She herself told me, he's my brother. I, I did this in innocence. I'm innocent and now that. And then God says to him like, I know, I know, don't worry. But the only reason why you're still alive is because I know you're innocent and all that. And I tell you more. Even the fact that you haven't touched her yet is because I kept you from it. So, uh, here is what you need to do. You need to give Sarah back to her husband. And then Abraham, he is a prophet of mine. He is my prophet. He will pray for you and you live. Now, try to put yourself in the, in the feet of Abimelech. He is in a conversation with a God that he doesn't know. He doesn't know about the God of heaven. He doesn't know about our God, a God of Abraham. But by the little bit he experienced, he knows that that God is a pretty good, big deal because of all the things that happen in his household. And, uh, and perhaps because Abimelech is also gravely ill, he's very unwell, uh, he probably doesn't make that question to God that's probably popping up in your mind right now. A prophet of God? This guy is a cheater, like a liar. He was so uh, unscrupulous and like a, he put myself and my whole family, my whole tribe in harm's way. He's your prophet. Like uh, that's something that screams from that text. And uh, it's interesting that... Uh, that's actually the first time in the whole Bible that the word prophet is used. And it's interesting to me that that word was not used for Moses when he was like getting the Ten Commandments and like speaking with God face to face. That word was not used by first time for like Samuel or Elijah or or any one of those big luminaries, God chose to call the first person in the Bible a prophet, somebody that seemed more like a good for nothing than a prophet. That's something that for me tells me volumes, not about Abraham, but about God. Because God had something else and he wants us to show who he really is like uh, if you keep following the story Abimelech does what is instructed and he sends the wife back but he goes and he scourges uh, he is very 
to your face to Abraham and asking, like, why did you have such a crazy idea? And uh, Abraham said to him, like, well, I didn't know. I assumed that here people had no fear of God. And I was afraid I was get killed because of my wife. And to tell you the truth, you actually caught me on a technicality. Because she's my half-sister. Half so I just neglected to say that she is my wife as well. So she, he tries to, Abraham tries to give excuses. But then Abraham tells us something that we didn't know before. He says that he said to Sarah, on the very beginning of their journey, when they first started their journey, like 25 years earlier, he said like, honey, do me a favor if you love me. To every place you go, we go, you tell the people if they ask that I am your brother. Uh, this, this plot was not simply being a, like an impromptu decision. That was not one of those things that you, you think like one of those sins you commit that you like going about your day and then the situation comes, you don't have time to think and you say something stupid or you do something stupid and then you realize, oh, I did wrong. That was not the case. That was one of those like scenes that you look like over your shoulder, nobody's looking, coast is clear, I'm gonna do it. Like that was a premeditated, like a, a, a long-held plot. And the story uh, kind of led us to believe that that was not the only time that that happened. Like because he was doing, he instructed her to every land we go. And he, they went to a lot of different lands before we reached that point 25 years into his journey. And they were conning people out, like and putting Sarah in harm's way to his own expense. Like uh, that was not really a okay situation. This one was one of those premeditated sins. Uh, Abraham and Sarah took that decision ages ago when they started their journey. And uh, there is no way to, to dress the situation up. Any way you try to explain it, looks bad because it is bad. Uh, call it what you want. A vice, a compulsion, a flaw of character, a bad habit. The thing is that 25 years later, he was caught again, head-handed. He did it on G Egypt. And that would gone very wrong if God had not intervened. And he did it, it again. What makes that situation even worse is because in Egypt, okay, we can excuse the guy. It's like it uh, was the first time, he didn't know who God was. But like 25 years later, God doing miracle after miracle in his life. And uh, he has no excuse now. That really shows who he is and uh, he had uh, time to think before he took that foolish decision to meditate in all his past history and all the good things God did for, for him 
And uh, in the way God always looked out for him and always helped him out. And uh, when he had that temptation again, you may be tempted to be asking, how could he mess up again? Knowing everything that he knows. The problem is that you and I do the same. We know who God is and we keep messing things up. Unless you are a different type of human than I am, you keep doing. I keep doing. I don't want to, but sometimes I keep seeing myself in have that uh, sentiment of deja vu, like I'm, I've been here before. And Abraham makes the same mistake again and again and again and again. God intervened again. And he cleans up the mess. And then Abraham prays to God. Situation is solved. But uh, what really, where God really shows his hand here. Is in what happens next. If you read the first two verses. Of chapter 21. Right on the same breath. As he's finishing. Uh, telling the story. That's actually part of the same story. Like he says in verse 18. For the Lord had closed up all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Verse 21. And the Lord visited Sarah. And he had, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham's a son in his old, old age and set the time uh, of which God had spoken to him. In the very next breath. After Abraham drops the ball like hugely. God comes and gives Abraham the promised child. That they were cherishing and longing for for 25 years. And uh, the time is really strange. Don't you think? Like, uh, God could have given that child right after he got off his parents' house, after he left the land, after he shed all his connections, after he split from Lot. But he did it. God could have uh, given that when he showed up and uh, made that covenant again, walking among the, the carcasses of the uh, of the animals, but he didn't. God could have, when he was on like on one of the pinnacle of his experiences, interceding by Sodom and, Go and Gomorrah, but he didn't. And uh, he does immediately after Abraham does a huge mistake, almost imp an impardonable mistake, and. Uh, such a time does not, does not seem to make sense, at least for me at first when I read it. And uh, because he had put an innocent man's life and a whole population at stake, at, at risk. And uh, I'm not here to blast Abraham. Because he actually did wrong. But I want, I want to highlight something. That that story tells more about God than what tells about Abraham. And uh, what that story tells about Abraham is actually quite challenging. 
to us. It's a, you see, Abraham made a uh, huge mistake, a huge misjudgment. And uh, he had done that before. So we are not learning anything uh, new here. But God sees that huge error of uh, judgment. And he refused to throw Abraham out. If it was another God, he could say, like, Abraham, you've done enough. You're good for nothing. Like, uh, you did again and again and again. Like, I'm tired of you. Instead, he chose to characterize Abraham. Not at his last flaw, but he chose to characterize Abraham by his 25-year journey that they had together. God tells Abimelech about Abraham. And Abraham does not even realize the extent of how much he hurt God with his mistake. And uh, he uh, says to, to Abimelech, not that uh, Abraham is uh, good for nothing, but he chose to characterize him by the collective of his journey with God. He calls him a prophet. And uh, a prophet here, the word that's used here for the first time in the Bible is the word Nabi. That means a person that speaks uh, for God or a, a person who speaks in behalf of God. So like, he's saying, he's my representative. Uh, he's a prophet. And he's going to pray for you and sort this mess out. This guy that misled you. This guy that uh, lied about who he really is. He's my prophet. And I'm claiming him. I'm not disowning him. I'm claiming him for myself. Even though now is the worst possible uh, time for me to be claiming him. He's at his lowest. Like, uh, it's the worst time for me to be associated to, a, to somebody like that. But I'm still claiming him as my prophet. Because God chose that moment to associate the word prophet with somebody. That tells a lot about him. That tells that... Uh, God's impression about God is not made by his, latest, by his latest mistake, but by the orientation of his lifelong journey with him. God is not impressed with our good deeds that we are doing today or with our bad deeds. He looks for where your life is going and where our life is leading. God analyzes us and tells who we are by the legacy of our relationship with him. There's an interesting story that happened, I think, two or three years ago. Uh, that was all over social media. I'm sure you know, as I tell the details. There was a guy. Uh, his name was um, Christian Cooper. He was in Central Park. He was a bird watcher. And there's a very nice part of the Central Park. I used to go there with my kids when they were a kid, uh, when they were small. Uh, I'm still small, they are grown up now. But uh, when they were small, uh, we was to go there after a potluck, 
And if we didn't have anything to do, because it was such a nice place to do a picnic or to just play. And uh, he was there, bird watching. That place is kind of a bird sanctuary there in Central Park. And uh, there is plaques all over the place saying like, uh, don't, uh, dogs here are for, forbidden unless you, they are on a leash. And like, uh, he's now doing his bird watching, taking his pictures, and he sees a lady with a dog, roaming free and barking and going after the birds. Exactly what the Central Park authorities didn't want to happen. So he very nicely approaches uh, that lady. Her name was Amy Cooper, no relation. And uh, he says, very politely, listen, here, you can walk with your dog, but he has to be in a leech so he doesn't go and uh, uh, disturb the birds. And uh, do you know what happens next? She picks up the phone, she calls 911, and she tells the police, listen, there's a black person here, and I'm a white lady, he, there's a black person here that's uh, intimidating me. She, he's going to beat me up. Please send somebody here. ASAP. I'm in danger. And I don't know uh, if you know how serious this is, but if you live in this country long enough, you know that like uh, a lot of those calls, they don't end up well. And many times, the perpetrator... The guy that's been, uh, that the police has been called to dealt with, he does not even live to tell the story. So she did something very heartless, very cruel, uh, and out of proportion. What saved this guy is that he was live streaming his bird watching thingy. He put his phone in his pocket as he approached. So the whole conversation was filmed and was streamed live to Facebook or whatever platform he was using. And that video went viral in minutes. By the time the police got there to arrest him, he, they ended up arresting her instead. Uh, because it was very uh, well documented that that was a hoax. Like she was trying to, just using her privilege to get the guy uh, in a bad situation. And uh, needless to say, as the video became viral, and uh, that was in social media for weeks, uh, that, that lady, Amy Cooper, she lost her job. She was uh, ended up being prosecuted by, feeling, uh, by, by reporting a false crime. All sorts of problems came to her. But what was interesting what, is what happened in that discussion on social media with her. As happened with similar incidents of sorts, we all seen it, like we saw people like that are close to her. Like, uh, oh, she's not that way, that was just one incident. And then like, uh, her, her herself said the same thing, and like her parents, like people close to her comes, and then we roll our eyes, like, you, you're right, like, I know. That's definitely who you are. Let's cancel this woman. Let's erase her. And that's what happened with her.
she was canceled. And when we see those situations going on, we tend to do that, like to disown that person because we don't want, like in situations like that, the perception is that if you don't say anything bad about that person, you are condoning with what that person is doing. So you want to divest yourself and put a big distance between you and that person. And uh, most people, they hear the people trying to explain, oh, that's not what I am. And like, oh, and we just roll our eyes and say, you're right. And that's definitely who you are. Let's cancel that person. But uh, God, instead of canceling Abraham, instead of saying like, Abraham, you're good for nothing. Let's, I'm disown you. Uh, God does the exact opposite. It's kind of counter-cultural to our modern society what God does. Even almost being uncomfortable to see it. Abraham had done that terrible thing. He brought pain to his long-suffering wife. Once again, he exposed an innocent man to danger, to a very serious repercussions. And uh, everybody in the audience is like us. He's saying like, that's a terrible thing. And he's done it again. Like, and that's, that's not the first thing he did. He done this again and again and again and again. So let's cancel him. But uh, God does the opposite. We are not privy to God's uh, conversation with Abraham. His innermost thoughts in the discussions with God. But perhaps Abraham was thinking on his heart. And saying like, I messed up. And uh, he was saying like, sorry God, that's really not what I am. I really messed up again. And uh, I, I'm not that. And then God says to him, I see, I see you. I'm seeing the trajectory of your life. That's why I'm not disowning you. That's why I'm still taking you as my representative, as my prophet. You are my family member. So I stand with you and I continue my commitments to you. I continue my partnership with you. And that's really challenging to us because we are fed daily a steady diet of uh, like uh, to judge the person by their actions, to judge the person for their bad things, judge the person for the here and now. Quite often I have heard that like doesn't matter how, many, how much good a person does, if one bad deed is done, that person is out of the picture already. We distance ourselves to them so we don't get embroiled on their sin. And uh, that's the opposite of what God is doing. God's response is, I judge the character of a person, not by their last good or bad deed. I, lo I lose, I, I mean, I judge their character by the trajectory of their walk with me. I cannot be okay, God says, to what the person does. But that doesn't mean that I don't love her more or less because of that. I should dedicate myself and give the same commitment to her because that person 
is part of me. I died for that person as well. That's what our God says. That's so uh, countercultural for us today. God, as a friend of mine once told me, God does not look in a passport picture. He looks in the panorama, on the big panorama of your life. A 360 picture, the all around what you really are, what you really represent. And he says, I'm going to repair this situation. And then we're going to stick to the plan. That's what he does. But I don't want you to come out of this sermon, of this meeting here today, thinking that uh, Abraham managed to swerve the consequences of his action. That he got free uh, uh, from that sin. Look what God does. God has to send Abimelech to confront him. And to confront Sarah about his actions. Can you imagine how humbling that must have been? And to make things worse. Like you are the man of God. You are supposedly the better person. And God has to send somebody that not, don't even know him right. To point you. To expose you. To tell you what you have to do. It's almost as if God is doing cannot even talk with you right now because uh, he, you are like too unwell to deal with that situation. Like uh, it's almost like if God is thinking like I'm using the, that person to tell the prophet because the prophet can be trusted at this moment. So that's very humiliating. And, uh, uh, and then he has sent the injured party, that was the, the king, to start the restitution. But now that you are exposed, you have actually to even pray to that person. And you know and everybody else knows that you are good for nothing. But God still does that. So Abraham had a sense of how serious his sin was. There was no way to hide. God gives him no option but to face what he had done. And uh, God uh, puts him up to own his own decisions and his own bad behavior. There's no get out of the jail free card. And uh, it's, there's no pretending that that never happened. There's no white, uh, whitewashing. He has to face the consequences. But through that, God is there and God is still affirming, I'm with you. That's what makes God different. He does not condone with our problems, but he's, he's still carrying us by the hand. And uh, he's not willing to throw up that 25-year relationship. And he's not willing to throw up that whatever long your relationship with God, even one day long relationship, he's not willing to throw up because he loves you. And uh, everyone in life has to come to realize that there is things in, your, in our lives that we struggle. At least there's things in my life that I struggle today as much as I struggled 25 years ago and perhaps even more. There's a lot of stuff that with like uh, the Holy Spirit and uh, God's uh, presence in my life, I overcame. But there's still a 
bunch of things that are still a work in progress. And we are out that way, and we are out at risk in one of those situations, messed up. But God does not throw us out to the sharks because he loves us. And uh, he wants to, us to get back to where we belong as his representatives, as his prophets, as his spokespersons, because that's what you are. Like the word prophet here does not mean somebody that has a vision. That's a different word. The word prophet here seems somebody that represents God out there. And that's what you are. You may be flawed as I am, as Abraham was, but God is there with you and he wants to uh, raise you up day after day. He wants to give, get you closer and closer to maturity. And uh, why do you think God choose uh, to ask that odd timing and bless uh, Abraham and uh, even to ask him to uh, bless this man that he did wrong? Why did you think God did that? Like, if God, Abraham could only intercede by, for Abimelech, because he learned first to intercede by Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham only could intercede for Sodom and Gomorrah because he uh, learned in how to obey God and go to wherever he wants. And like, do you see what the point that I'm trying to make? Although he was not a good picture of God, at this point in his life, everything that he came, he did before, prepared him to this point. The story could have a different outcome. He could have chosen what God intended. That's for him to say, like, no, I'm going to own it. Sarah is my wife, and I'm trusting God. But he didn't, as you and I do frequently. But what God does is, like, he picks up the pieces. He puts out together, and he, he steers us out to the direction he wants us to go, out of our love for him. He never turns his back Onto us, like uh, he never allows our latest stupidness to uh, erase or walk with him. My my point today, my takeaway today, is that like if you are facing problems that keep recurring. And sometimes we, th we keep thinking, like, I'm done this again. How bad is that? Like, it is bad as it is. But I want you to remember that uh, God does not want you to get this made. Because although everybody else around you may be saying, erase him, cancel him, God is not canceling you. God wants you to thrive. He wants you to allow now that you messed up for him to enter in your life so he can put the pieces together and steer you to the direction he wants you to go so you can bless others and grow into the process. Like, don't feel overburdened because God does not uh, look to you 
just on the snapshot of your last second of your life. He looks for the whole trajectory of your life, where your life is pointing. If your life is pointing upwards, let's keep the good work. Let's keep surrendering ourselves to God and let's not, never give up. If your life is pointing downwards, now is the time for you to ask God for mercy. Ask God for help for him to turn your story around. So you start to go in the direction he wants you to go. Because he does not forsake you. And until we have time, let's team up with God and keep growing. Because he wants us, as Abraham, to be with him forever. And in the same way he did with Abraham, he wants to do with you and me. May God bless you today. You have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.